Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 25 on how when Isaac was faced with a crisis in his life, that he turned to the Lord in prayer to get help with his request. And we'll study some others in the Bible that turn to the Lord in a time of need. Now, this message is available for free listening and free download on iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. You can also find it available for free listening and free download at our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now, before we begin with our Bible study with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, who's a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has a heart to reach lost Jewish people. Now, he has Israel Restoration Ministries that he's founded to reach lost Jewish people. And we have opportunities for volunteers to work with our ministry throughout the country, but also a specific opportunity in the Southern California area for a full-time missionary to work with Israel Restoration Ministries. If you know someone in the Southern California area that would like to become a full-time missionary working with Israel Restoration Ministries that would be a courier of the gospel to the Jewish people in Los Angeles. So if you are someone you know is interested in reaching lost Jewish people, building relationships with them, and discipling God's lost chosen nation of people, please call us today at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go to israelrestoration.org for more information on Israel Restoration Ministries. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, who is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries on Friendship with God, teaching us from the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Paul identified Timothy as his son when he said in 1 Timothy 1-2, Unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Generally, it's accepted, it's viewed. Paul didn't have any physical children. He didn't have any children, never spoke of them. But he had many spiritual children, many physical children, many spiritual children. And he talked to, to the Corinthian believers that way. When he said in 1 Corinthians 4.15, he said, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. See, Titus, he identified Titus as his son in the faith when he said in Titus 1.4, To Titus, mine own son after the common faith. Grace, mercy, peace from God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, Onesimus was Paul's son in the faith. He said in Philemon 1.10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten in my bonds. See, Paul, he had these spiritual children. And what's interesting about when you look at the spiritual children of Paul is that, you know, it wasn't a situation like you just had these spiritual children and you left them on a street corner to fare for yourselves. Paul travailed for his spiritual children he said, till Christ be formed in you. As he said in Galatians 4.19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. In other words, he's saying, I travailed in birth for you to be born again. I'm travailing again for you until Christ is formed in you. As a parent, Paul was gentle toward his spiritual children. He said that in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. We've been hearing about that. But we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. As he has a spiritual father, Paul exhorted his children. He comforted his children. He charged his spiritual children. And he said this in 1 Thessalonians 2.11. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. We read now in verse 20, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethel the Syrian and Padanaram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. See, we see those clear words Isaac took Rebekah to wife. And we know from the last verse, last chapter, that 
he not only took her to be his wife, he not only took her into his mother's tent, he not only took her to be his wife, but he took her to love. It says that. Isaac fulfilled the marriage vows where he would say, I, Isaac, take thee, Rebekah, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward to love. See? Isaac took Rebekah to love Rebekah. And even though, as we saw in our last study, they were as different as North Pole to South Pole in their personalities. With great differences between them, Isaac decided to love Rebekah. And because Isaac loved Rebekah, their home was a happy home. And we'll see that the upcoming birth of their twins put a great difference between them, where Isaac will favor Esau and Rebekah will favor uh, Jacob. You know, that's a formula for a giant explosion. That's a formula for a, a nuclear explosion. But because Isaac loved Rebekah, their home was a happy home. And it's interesting that nowhere do you read that Rebekah loved Isaac, but you only read that Isaac loved Rebekah. And even though it doesn't say that Rebekah loved Isaac, but only that Isaac loved Rebekah, their home was a happy home. And if just one spouse in a marriage, will love the other one, even without the reciprocal love, their home will be a happy home. And there does not have to be love between both spouses for a home to be a happy home. If only one spouse loves the other spouse, their home will be a happy home. That's what made Isaac's home a happy home. Three words that describing Isaac in Genesis 24, 60, 67. He loved her. He loved her. Now, we read of a problem, and we saw this in our last study, is that Rebecca is described in verse 21 as she was barren. See, that described a physical problem. She was barren. And the most wonderful description that we have of Isaac, we just saw in verse 21, is that, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. See, Rebecca was barren. It was a physical problem. And Isaac entreated the Lord. It's so wonderful to just read those simple words, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. It's so wonderful that verse 21 doesn't read some other way. It's so wonderful that verse 21 doesn't read, and Isaac resorted to a human plan for his wife because she was barren. It's so wonderful that verse 21 doesn't read, and Isaac turned to an Egyptian handmaid instead of his wife because she was barren. When Abraham had the same problem, Abraham did just that. He turned to Hagar, and he was sorry for that. And then in sorrow, he turned to the Lord. And it's so wonderful that verse 21 doesn't read, and Isaac turned to the gods of the land for his wife because she was barren. You know, I'll never forget when I would go to, to visit customers in Tokyo, and I'd stay at the Shinjuku Hilton, and walking from Shinjuku Station, it was only a few blocks, the hotel at night, and as I'd leave the Shinjuku Station... All those stands of palm readers and tarot card readers and spiritual seers and the Japanese people just going one right after the other. And here in San Diego, all those places, that's just the same. The spiritual readers and so forth. And someone told me one time, well, if it works, it must be okay. Whatever works. It's so wonderful that verse 21 doesn't say that Isaac turned to the gods of the land. It's so wonderful that uh, verse 21 doesn't say, and Isaac turned to the physicians for his wife because she was barren. See, that's our reaction to a health crisis. A health crisis comes to us, how soon can I get an appointment with a specialist? 
well, I got to go find a specialist. So the, I'll ask my friend, who's the best specialist? How soon can I get an appointment? Where's the best clinic? I got to go get treatment there. It's amazing just how much harm clinicians cause. I mean, Hippocrates, he couldn't have said something better in his first oath. Don't do, cause any harm. And in Mark, it describes this woman in Mark 5, 26, a woman who just kept passing blood, hemorrhaging, passing blood, anemic, passing blood. And it says in Mark 5, 26, and had suffered, she had suffered many things of many physicians. <laughs> That's a good badge for physicians to wear, right? Suffered many things of many physicians, yeah. And had spent all that she had, and don't forget that part, and had spent all that she had, and then the next part, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. (laughs) So uh, who would like to sign up to go to medical school now? (laughs) So this poor woman had visited many physicians, and they damaged her in many ways, and she spent all her money on those physicians under their care, and she just got worse. What makes 21 so wonderful, verse 21 so wonderful, is that it describes a habit of life with Isaac. When he faced a crisis, he turned to the Lord in prayer. I mean, it reminds me of a problem Jean she had with her phone. And Jean's phone hasn't been working because the water line broke under her home. And so at 4 a.m., she told me, 4 a.m. in the morning, she woke up concerned about her phone. And so what did she do? Did she grab her cell phone and, and call the all-night number for the phone companies to come out quick and fix my phone? No, she prayed at four in the morning. And in the middle of her prayer, she heard static on the receiver that was left off the hook. The line was restored, four in the morning. That's better than being on hold with the <laughs> That's what she did. When a crisis comes, why did she do that? Because when a crisis comes, a habit of life is to turn to God in prayer. Isaac's habit in life that we're reading about in verse 21 that should be our habit in life. We're faced with a crisis, we turn to God. And Isaac, he didn't just pray casually to God for his wife. He earnestly called on God. He called out to God. You know, Isaac had a passive personality. We've already seen that. I mean, the picture, the classic picture of Isaac is following Abraham up Mount Moriah. You know, that's a picture of the life of Abraham. Father, where's the lamb? God will provide. Okay. I'll follow. You know, that's Isaac. That wouldn't be Rebecca. <laughs> that picture of Isaac in chapter 24, verse 63, Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. That's a picture of Isaac. He is a calm, retiring, meditative type of person. And being a second born to Ishmael, he had many of the following, following type of meditative characteristics of a second born. I mean, Isaac, you want to be with a pleasant person? You want to be with Isaac. He's just like, he's pleasant to be around. He's nice. You know, he's not causing any waves. And he may have been passive, but when it says in verse 21 that Isaac entreated the Lord, there's nothing passive about Isaac here. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word that's behind this word entreated is the word atar. And atar is from a primitive root that means to burn incense. And so it's really, what he's really saying here is more like a worshipful pleading to God as an intercessor. The word atar is used in Exodus 8.8, where it says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat, atar, the Lord, that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. I'll let the people go and do sacrifice. See, here was Pharaoh. He's suffering tremendously. Frogs everywhere. Frogs in his bed, frogs in his clothes. And he's begging in a worshipful way. He's begging, intercede for me. 
Go worshipfully plead to God to take the frogs away. So that's the same word, atar, that's used here to describe how Isaac is interceding for Rebekah earnestly. It's not just a description of, you know, Lord, could you please do something? No, I mean, he is really into it. He's very earnest. It's just like the description of Elijah, where it talks about when he prayed for rain in James 5.17, it says, and Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three and a half years. He prayed for it not to rain, sorry. He prayed earnestly. When it says he prayed earnestly, behind those words, the Greek text uses the word prayer twice. So it's really reading, Elijah prayed in his prayer. It portrays for us that Elijah's praying, and as he's praying there, we're sort of like stepping out into overdrive in his prayer. It's like Elijah stepped out of the formality of his prayer. He stepped out of the, how he normally prayed, I don't know. And he really reached out to God. He prayed in his prayer. Which raises the question as to why did God allow Isaac to not have children for so long that it brought Isaac to this place of desperation of having to pray so hard for a child? I mean, it was God's will that he should child. Why? The answer is that God did not want this seed of promise to come naturally. But God wanted this seed to come by prayer as a confirmation this was from God. And sometimes that's what God does with us. We know that something is the will of God, but it's not happening. And like Isaac, we have to pray earnestly. Why? Because like Isaac, God wants us to have that answer to prayer that with a clear sign on it that says, not naturally, but as an answer to prayer. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on the Friendship with God radio program. If you enjoy the Friendship with God radio program, we need your support to stay on this station in your city. You can always become one of our one-time or monthly supporters by going to friendshipwithgod.org and donating online, or you can call us directly at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. We appreciate your support, especially your financial support, to help us continue on this station in your city And don't forget, you can also download messages for free or listen to them at our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. And don't forget to search for the Friendship with God podcast on iTunes.com. And you can, again, download messages for free of Friendship with God and Tom Cantor's teaching. Now, here again is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God. Now, when it says in verse 21 that Isaac entreated the Lord for, for his wife because she was barren, those words are interesting, for his wife. The Hebrew, nakach, it means on the behalf of his wife or in the place of his wife. See, he had his own pain. See, Isaac had pain over the infertility, but Isaac felt Rebekah's pain, and that caused him to pray, nakach, in her place. See, that's the kind of praying that God wants us to pray where we not only have the eyes like we talked about, not only have the eyes of compassion, but we have the heart of compassion. It's so easy for us to to leave our houses and we see people, but we don't see anyone. And we listen to people, but we don't hear anyone. And we touch people, but we don't feel anyone. Because we want to protect ourselves from being disturbed, from being upset. So we build this layer of protective insulation around us called hardness of heart. But God wants us to feel the needs we're praying for. And he wants us to get into their shoes of the people we're praying for. He wants us to see through their eyes. 
He wants us to feel through their hearts. And then we can pray as Isaac did. Nakach, on behalf or in the place of, of Rebekah. That's true intercession. And that's how the Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for us when it says in Hebrews four fifteen through 16, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It means that the, when the Lord prays, he's praying nakach in our behalf. He's seeing through our eyes. He's feeling through our heart. Now, we read in verse 20 that Isaac entreated the Lord. And we talked about last week, how long was this period? It's made clear to us. He was 40 years old when he got married. He was 60 years old when these boys were born. So we saw that this was 20 years. This was 20 years. That means that, you know, the first, Isaac didn't waste any time. First, he takes her into the tent. All right. So after the first month, they waited and they saw she's not pregnant. You know, they didn't have first response at that time, pregnancy tests, but they had last response, which is just anyway. So they went in, and so one month later, she's not pregnant, and this goes on for 20 years. And each month of the 20 years, they waited to see if Rebecca was pregnant for 20 years. That's 240 months. That's a lot of months. 240 months, 240 times they waited to see if Rebecca's pregnant. 240 times they see that she hasn't conceived. You know what that shows about Isaac? Patience. Patience. You know, they asked Hudson Taylor one time, what are the requirements for a missionary coming in China and then mission in China? And he says, there are three requirements. He said, the first requirement is patience. The second requirement is patience. And the third requirement is patience. <laughs> so when it says that Isaac entreated the Lord, we understand prayer requires patience. 20 years of praying and waiting. That teaches us in order to become strong in prayer, we need to become strong in patience. Waiting, like it says in Hebrews 10, 35-36, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after having done the will of God, you might receive the promise. See, the answer to Isaac's prayer was coming, but he had to wait. And sometimes after we pray, we have to wait and not give up. Because the prayer doesn't come immediately. The answer doesn't come immediately. That doesn't mean it's not God's will. Isaac waited for 20 years for the answer to his prayer. That's what makes prayer so difficult. If prayer was simply, I see a need, I ask God for the answer, and the answer comes immediately, prayer wouldn't be hard at all. Prayer, what's hard about that? But prayer involves waiting. And if we are not prepared, we don't prepare ourselves for waiting, we'll give up. We'll simply give up. Just how hard is it to wait in prayer? If we're to prepare ourselves for the difficulty of waiting in prayer, what should we be prepared for? It's an interesting description that tells us what to expect in this matter of waiting in prayer. And you might want to turn to it. It's in Numbers 8, 24 through 25. Numbers 8, 24 through 25. It's an interesting word here. And it describes for us, it gives us an insight as to what we're getting into when we commit ourselves to prayer and the work that we need to be prepared for. Numbers 8, 24 to 25 says this, This is that belongeth unto the Levites from 20 and 5 years old and upward. They shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. See, they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle. See, And from the age of 50 years, they shall cease waiting 
upon the service thereof and shall serve no more. See, start waiting, doing their work of waiting when they're 25 and they stop 25 years later. And it says, this work belongs to the Levites. Wait, waiting. Now we're particularly interested in this because when we read about Levites, we know that Levites were the priests and we're called to be priests. We're called to be priests, as we already heard this morning, in Revelation 1.6, where it says, And God hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. And the job of a priest is to represent man to God. So when we read about the Levites, we focus in specially because we're reading about what God has called us to be. When we read about the Levites, we're reading our job description. And so as a Levite, as a priest, the job of the Levite was to pray, was to wait. As those multitudes of Israelites came to the tabernacle with their offerings of their sin sacrifices so they could be forgiven by God, with their offerings of their thanksgiving sacrifices for the goodness of God, for their offerings when they dedicated themselves wholly to God, for their offerings of their supplications for their needs. See, the priest was not just a butcher. He didn't just sit there and say, okay, bring him up here, cut him up next. That's not the priest. The priest took on his heart those sorrows when a person came because of sin for forgiveness. He took on his heart those joys when a person came with thanksgiving. He took on his heart that courage when a person came and wanted to dedicate himself especially to God, had an offering. He took on his heart those yearnings when a person came with supplications, requests to God for answers to prayer. He goes out of the tabernacle, goes about his daily business there, walking in the crowds in the market and whatever. And the next time the priest would see that person, he would say, ask him, say, oh, did God answer your prayer yet? Because your yearning's on my heart. How about it? And that's the primary work of a priest. It was a heart work as he took on his heart the burdens of the people who they came to him. So that's why he would do that. And that waiting part was hard, as it says there. It used to be churches had a midweek prayer meeting where prayer needs were discussed and prayed over. But the waiting part of prayer is hard work. So the midweek prayer meeting in the church has been replaced by a midweek church service. So the question is, just how hard was this waiting part on the Levites? Well, it's interesting, when you're looking there at Numbers 8.24, it says, this is that that belongeth unto the Levites, 25 and upward. They shall go in to wait upon the service. See, the word belongeth. That really brings it home. It tells the primary work of the Levite was to wait. And he starts when he's 25 and, and so forth. 25 years, he's got to do this. It's all about waiting work, waiting work. And what's interesting is the Hebrew word that's used to describe the waiting in that chapter 8, verses 24, 25. The word waiting, there's the Hebrew word sabah, sabah. Now, let me just read to you so you get a picture of what this meaning of this word sabah is. I'll read to you another uh, place in Numbers 31, 7, where the word is used. And they warred sabah against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males. See, the Midianites were bitter enemies of the Israelites. And the Israelites went into these battles with them, and they were swinging those heavy swords till they had hacked up and killed all the males. And that's hard work. Slaying and slewing is hard work. And that swinging the sword hard work warfare, it's called sabah. And at the end of each day of warfare, you can imagine the Israelites exhausted, killing all those Midianite men. And the word sabah is used to describe this hard work of warfare. That's the word that's used to describe the word weight in the Levites. Hard work. The Levites didn't go into physical battlefront 
in Israel. They were exempt from military service, but they did go to the battlefront of prayer. Another amazing day of studying the Bible here on Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, who is a born-again Jewish believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also the CEO of Scanabody's Laboratory. He's a scientist. He's also the 2009 Whistleblower of the Year Award recipient winner, winning one of the largest judgments in U.S. history. And he's also a patent owner, author, and, of course, a wonderful pastor and Bible teacher here on Friendship with God. Tom Cantor teaches at Mission Valley Community Chapel in San Diego, California. For more information, you can call us directly at 800-247-3051. You can also support this Bible teaching radio program staying on the air with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, by supporting us at 800-247-3051 with a donation of any amount or even a monthly reoccurring donation will be very, very helpful to this Bible teaching radio program staying on the air in your station, in your city. Again, 800-247-3051. You can also go online for more information about our ministries. We have two websites for you friendshipwithgod.org. You can donate online, download free messages, and also purchase Tom Cantor's materials. You can also learn about Tom Cantor's other ministry of Jewish evangelism through his foundation in over 14 U.S. and Canadian cities where Jewish people live, major cities, bringing the gospel to the Jewish people, to the Jew first. And we'd like to ask you to be a part of bringing the gospel to the Jewish people that we do this all year long, but especially during this summer blitz campaign that's going on right now. Call us with your support at 800-247-3051. You can donate at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org to support this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries with Jewish Evangelism, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.